Hello, right? All right. Rolling, I see it. <laughs> we have begun. Let me see if I can find our notes from... This will be our last day in the book of Ephesians. Did you guys? I said it. Last time I said it could be. Last time I just said it could be. This time I'm saying it is. We're in chapter 6. Wow. We're in the last half of chapter 6, actually. And we're going to spend probably most of our time to talking about the armor of God, which is always fun. The armor. The armor of God. But, before we do that, does anybody have, uh, I'm interested in what happened in prayer this morning. Did anybody get a really special gift from the Holy Ghost this morning? I just saw him walk in with all those presents. And I thought, I wonder if anybody got anything really good. I had fun. You look like a little I, you know, I have. What? Yes, that's true. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy the the Lord, and and there's times when he he was this morning. How can I describe it? He was being honorary with me. That, does that does that sound weird if I'm talking about the Lord and I say that? But it's true. He was just, it was, I felt this kind of like, this kind of like playfulness about him this morning, about the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I really do think that he's playful. I had this, uh, um, this encounter with him very early on, like I was probably 16. And, uh, and I just read this book by Benny Hinn called The Anointing, okay? And I know you guys like, Benny Hinn, but it was a good book. And dude, if you have seen as many people healed in your ministry as he has in his, then you can, you can make fun. And until then, you know, just shut up. Um, yes, it looks like he's wearing a wig the wrong way, and he has, you know, and, and, and I've seen him do really goofy stuff. But... Uh, the Holy Ghost is legit. I don't know. I mean, I, I've been I've been in meetings. I know people that God has totally healed them from stuff that was completely impossible in Benny Hinn Crusades. So the Holy Spirit is totally legit. Is Benny Hinn a little bit weird? Yeah. And do I think that he's probably, you know, borderline sometimes? Yes. But that doesn't mean... That what God that doesn't mean that God's not doing stuff through him. God always used weird people. Have you read the book of Ezekiel? I mean, come on. Ezekiel was a weird guy. He was weird. I mean, just just go read the book if you ever have a chance. He was just a weird a weirdo. And and God uses weird people. Yeah. Um, it reminds me, like, okay. I'll explain this. It reminds me of that verse in I don't know if it's first or second Corinthians. Where it's even there, somewhere in the Bible, where Paul was like, "If we are out of our mind, it is for yeah. Christ's sake. But yeah. if we are in our right mind, it's for your sake." Right. So if people look like they're doing something stupid, like you may think this is the stupidest thing to go and say to that person, but it's. I was just talking to Josh about this yesterday. The Lord, one time, I was praying. I was walking down the line, praying for people, 
and God was giving me words for them, prophetic words. And, and it was just this powerful ministry time. And I got to this guy and the, the Lord just kept saying one word to me over this guy. And I did not want to say it, but I have, I've come to trust the Holy Spirit enough to know that I should just say it and let the chips fall where they may. If I look like an idiot, then I look like an idiot. I don't care. But so I did, I put my hands on him and I said, octopus and I'm dead serious. And the guy starts weeping uncontrollably. And I was like, okay, next. And just kept moving because we just didn't have time. And I don't know why octopus was the one. I was like, what in the world? I heard Matt Redman tell a story about, he said it was like his worst worship set ever. He had led worship. It was like in Iceland somewhere or something. He was feeling really sick. And, and he said he just made a million mistakes in the set. He was just feeling terrible about himself. And then at the end of the set, he's playing the last song, and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to sing Michael Jackson's <laughs> I Am Here With You. Do you guys know that song, okay? And, and oh, you are not alone. You know, that, that, that song. Yeah, okay. And, and he said, and here I am just strumming my guitar, Fighting with the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to sing that song. I'm not going to do it. No, no, I'm not. Absolutely. It's Michael Jackson, Lord. No way. And finally, 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 he gave, finally he gave in and just sang the chorus of the song a couple times and then said amen and walked off the stage. He said, I threw my guitar in the case. So I was like, got to go, you know. And this woman comes backstage and she's weeping uncontrollably and and he's she's like i was at i was on my way here and i told the lord if he did not want me to kill myself that he would have to make you sing you were not alone by michael jackson (laughs) right (laughs) so right then matt redmond's going oh thank you god that i said yes to you (laughs) <laughs> can you admit that i mean yikes right but so you just gotta try it when there's weird stuff going on and that was just the sense i got from the holy spirit this morning like that he was just being really playful and and fun and i it was just i just had this giddy like joy that just came over me like like the holy spirit was like playing tag or something it was really weird i don't can't really explain it but I saw him walk in the door, just his arms like absolutely full of presence. And he's like, with this huge smile on his face, like, I just have great stuff to give you. And, and yeah, he was so great. And so that's, that's why I just shared that with you guys, because that picture would not go away at all. It just kept, just stayed there. And just that feeling of, anyway, when I was 16, I read that book by Benny Hinn. And at the end, the whole book is about Benny Hinn's relationship with the Holy Spirit. So that's really what the entire book is about. Which if you ever read Good Morning, Holy Spirit, which is a, another book that he wrote, it was a lot of, that's, that's what that book is about. Um, when he got called into ministry, he, uh, he was already saved and he had already been filled with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. But somebody said to him, Somebody told him he needed to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. He needed to talk to the Holy Spirit and have a relationship with him. And he had these dramatic <laughs> encounters with the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit was 
becoming his friend. And so the, the, the book, Good Morning, Holy Spirit, he, would, he said he would wake up in the morning and the Holy Spirit would be just permeating his bedroom. And he would say, good morning, Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit was there, just waiting for the rest of the day where he and where the Holy Spirit and Benny were going to hang out all day. And at the end of the book, he talks about that. And then there's this written out prayer that invites the Holy Spirit into friendship with me. And I was sitting in the Philippines on a missions trip, and I was just finishing that book. And so I read, I prayed the prayer at the end of the, the book. And, and I was just like, okay. And I didn't feel anything at all. And then I opened my eyes, and I could see what almost looked like if you've looked at a bright light, for very long and then you look somewhere else and you see that kind of like yeah. you know the after image there was that of like a human form in the room where I was and I could see it and it was like and the Holy Spirit whispered into my heart I never heard I've never heard the audible voice of the Lord the Holy Spirit whispered to my heart that's me I want you to watch me for the rest of the night because I want you to know what I'm up to. And so we were going to a church. I didn't have any ministry responsibility that night. I was just on the, we were just going to this church. And I watched the Holy Spirit with my eyes, like it was a physical, like a visible phenomenon. I watched him like move around in the room and like minister to people. And like at one point, this man got up to sing this a solo and the Holy Spirit walked up onto the stage and then like put his head inside of the man's head. Like, like, and all of a sudden the, the anointing just went boom through the whole room. And I, and I fell out onto the floor, <laughs> but, and I, and I watched as the pastor was preaching, the Holy Spirit was there and he, and he was like standing kind of mimicking the movements of the pastor. And then he would go out from the pastor and like, walk down one aisle or, or begin to do something over here or, and I'm just watching him the whole night and people must've thought I was crazy because I'm just like, and he would move really fast and then he would like, I wouldn't see him and I'd be like, where are you? And then I'd be, Oh, there, you know? And after that time, the, that's never happened to me since just FYI, that was just like a three hour thing that happened to me. And, um, after that time, I began to understand that I needed to cultivate a, a, a friendship, a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, it's good for me, it's good for you that I go, because if I go, the Father will send another comforter, another counselor, uh, another person to come alongside you just like me. And he was referring to the Holy Spirit. And so... Jesus walked and talked and did life with his disciples, right? And Jesus was saying, this one that's coming is going to be the same as what I am to you now, except he's going to be, be able, you know, be able to be everywhere and, and I'm, you know, located in one place. So we should have... You should have conversation with the Holy Spirit. You should talk to him. 
And it makes sometimes it makes Christians uncomfortable when I pray, when I talk to the Holy Spirit when they're around. But why wouldn't we? There's no reason in Scripture that, that's given in Scripture that we shouldn't have conversation with the Holy Spirit. In fact, I think there's every reason to understand that we should. You should have a great relationship with the Holy Spirit. You should know him. You should know that he knows you. He already knows you. But you should know that. You should have a friendship with the third person of the Trinity. He lives inside your body. I love to make people do this. Just put your hand on your stomach and say, Hi, Holy Spirit. Because he's there. That's what the Bible says. Your body, this stuff, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your physical body is his address. Do you understand that? And everywhere you go, you carry him. why I, I don't like the kind of language when we are like in a service and we're like, God, come down. And the Holy Spirit's down here going, I'm right here. Now, I still do that because I understand the prayer. It's like I, I, we're asking for your manifest presence. We want to feel an experience that you are here. And that's why people say, God, come down. But I don't like the, the he doesn't have to come down. He's already there. He lives inside of you. So maybe we should just say, Holy Spirit, start doing stuff. I heard somebody say one time that the difference between presence and manifest presence is like, you know, if there was a millionaire in the room and then him just being in the room is his presence, but him handing out $100 bills is his manifest presence. Does that make sense? And that, that he's actually doing something, displaying who he is. In some way. And and so I think it's, that's, anyway. So, but even the song we sang this morning, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, bugs me. <laughs> because it's not theologically accurate. He's here. Now, can we tweak it somehow? I'm not enough of a nerd, like a theological nerd, to say, we need to change the words to that song. I, I'm fine with it. But I want you to understand the truth. The Holy Spirit's already here. All right, but maybe we can, we, but we can ask him to begin to manifest his presence. Does that make sense to you? Holy Spirit, I know you're here, but can you begin to do things and say things and act like yourself? Be made manifest in our midst, you know, uh, uh, Holy Spirit, you're welcome to do what you want to here. That's really what we mean, right? When we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. What we mean is, Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to do right now. We bow to what you want to do in this moment, and we, we put aside our agenda, and we say, do what you want to do. I don't know. For me, I, I need, I a lot of times have to change 
the way that I speak to God about things like this so that I can correct my own inner theology. What you believe about God really matters. Your ability to cooperate with God is predicated upon what you understand to be true about him. You understand that? If you believe something about God that is not true, then the, the truth that is being negated by that lie, you can't receive it. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? I'm trying to think of a better way to say it. Okay? Or to illustrate it. If I believe, if I honestly believe that God is, that, that God is not ashamed of me, but he likes me, then I am enabled to actually feel adored by him. But if there's something inside of me that does not believe that I am adored by God, I will not experience his adoration. It doesn't change who he is, but it does change my experience of him. And I honestly believe that the process that we go through, the Bible calls it washing with the water of the word, the renewing of the mind, okay? Those are the kind of terms that the Bible uses about this process. By the way, I know that you've probably been taught that this process is called sanctification. That's not true. I, I, that, that's one of those Bible words. Every place that the word sanctification, that the, the Bible was written in Greek, you know this, right? Okay. There's a Greek word in the Bible that most Bible translations translate as sanctification. Every place that that Greek word is used in Scripture, it is always used in the past tense. You have been sanctified. It is done. And that is true because that word means set apart, made holy, that's what it is. And that all happened when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. You have been set apart, past tense. You have been made holy, past tense. Those are, that is true. But there is, but we have taken that word and we have put it on top of this process that the Bible talks about. And we have called that sanctification. We've called it progressive sanctification. Well, that doesn't make any sense. If it was past tense, it's not progressive now, is it? No, you, you are holy now. You are righteous now. That was a gift that God gave you. That's over. Already done, completed. When God looks at you, he sees the perfection of his son hanging on you. That's the reality of who you are. Your righteousness is complete. That's really good news, guys. It just really is. Okay? But what we have to, what, what this process, there is a process that the Bible talks about. And it's an important process. And that process, we need to come up with another word for it. 
That's why I like the renewing of the mind. That's a great word for it because that's a lot closer to what's actually happening. What's going on in the renewing of the mind is that the Holy Spirit is slowly walking you through all of the things that you believe and he is taking out the lies and implanting the truth and taking out the lies and implanting the truth and uprooting the lies and implanting the truth. And the Holy Spirit's doing that. It is a long process because the lies that we believe go extremely deep in our psyche. And the Holy Spirit has to keep digging, keep going deeper, keep moving further down inside of us and taking, taking, oh, there's some more of that lie and I got to pull it out. One of the, one of the lies that drives me the most crazy is this lie that we have to earn the favor of God. We call it the religious spirit. Okay. And you will know the religious spirit because it will crop up its ugly little head when you are trying to do something for God and somebody will say things like, you know, well, I, I have a problem with that. For instance, there has been some people, we're doing this serve day coming up on April 24th, right? You guys know about that, okay? There have been people who have come to my dad and said, I can't be a part of it because I will not work on the Sabbath. Everything inside of me, I, I, I want to like ask him for their names so I can hunt them down and just beat the living crap out of them. Because that's the religious spirit and it's just gross. I just, I want to puke. I mean, I just want to puke. It's disgusting. It's, Jesus hated it too. And it's like when, when it's the same thing, when Jesus healed the man with the withered hand in the, on the Sabbath and all the, all of the, all of the Pharisees were like, Oh, he healed a man on the Sabbath. And Jesus was like, are you kidding me? Is it not lawful to do good on the Sabbath? If you had a, 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 a cow that fell in a well on the Sabbath day, you're telling me you would wait until Sunday to get the cow out? No, you wouldn't because you're not stupid. But you're going to let this man with his hand stay withered for another day because God forbid I do God's work on the Sabbath, right? Okay? And it, that's the religious spirit. And it isn't that they really care about God's law. It's that they want to make themselves look holier than Jesus. That's what it's really about. It's a manifestation of pride is what it is. That's all it is. It's a manifestation of pride. And it comes from this understanding, the lie that they believe that is manifesting as that thing, as pride, and the religious spirit, the lie that they believe is that I have to earn God's favor. That's the lie they believe. And the minute that that gets uprooted, all of a sudden grace just bleh, flows. Like it's just like, I want to heal every man on the Sabbath. If I get a chance to heal every withered hand in the world on the Sabbath, I'm going to do it. Right? Because all of a sudden it's not, it's no longer about, it's no longer about me earning God's favor. See, when, when you have to earn God's favor, then anytime anybody comes close to 
disobeying the law, all right, you are going to freak out because that's the basis of your salvation. Don't shake the, the stool I'm standing on. Does that make sense? They have built their lives on this rickety little stool called the law, and it is their only safety. And when somebody just kind of bumps the stool a little bit, they freak out. Ah! Don't mess with the law. And Jesus is like, the law had a point. There's a, this law exists for a reason. People are more important than the law. Will you stop trying to glorify yourself and let me save you? I know we're not talking about the armor of God yet, but we'll get there eventually. Does this make sense to everybody? Are you following me? Because everybody looks a little bit glazed. Stand up. Shake it off. Come on. You knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. Come on. Stand up. Shake it off. All right. That's better. Get some blood flowing. All right. You can, you can sit down. As long as you got some blood flowing. Am I? <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay. Now that blood is flowing. Let's jump into Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 10. Oh, boy. Last week we talked about honoring father and mother. Spent some time there. That was fun. I had fun. <laughs> All right. Yeah, let's pray. Have we prayed? We didn't pray yet, did we? Let's pray. Abba. I love you. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your companionship. I thank you that you're right here with me. And I thank you that this is your work. This isn't my work. This is your work. So I'm just, do your thing, man. Just move through here. Whisper into our ears. Open up our eyes. Uncover lies. Uproot them. Uh, and just plant that immortal seed in its place. That seed which will grow up to a harvest of righteousness for his name's sake, I pray. Holy Spirit, do your good work. Do your good work. Convict us of sin. Mm. Remind us of Jesus. Show us what he's really like. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Finally, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God. You guys ever seen The Preacher's Wife? Huh? With Whitney Houston? Oh, come on. 
Whoo, it's good. You gotta watch it. Just just because Whitney sings the whole movie, and it's like <gasps> it's Whitney Houston and Denzel Washington. Can you do better? I mean, come on. <laughs> but there's this scene where the church choir is like they're singing this song, and Whitney's like, "Put on the," and then the choir's like, "Whole armor of God." Anyway, so put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Yes. Mm. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, Pray at all times in the Spirit. Can I read that again? Pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak but that you also may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing. Tychius, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us, that he may com comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all, be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. Amen. All right, we are in a fight. We are in a fight, and you have a real enemy who really hates you and who is really all the time, every day, using all of his energy to destroy you. And the closer you get to God, and the more responsibility you have, the more he hates you, and the harder he is going to fight to destroy you. We do not live in the understanding that the enemy is after you hardcore, and you need to. You need to. If you go to Israel today, and I've never been there, I'd love to be there, I've never been there. You go through the airport in Tel Aviv, it is an ordeal. It is ridiculous, the kind of stuff, the places they want to look, the questions that they ask, the, the people with the big guns standing there looking at you thinking, is he going to do something? They are suspicious, they are hardcore, and they will not put up with anything. Why? Because they understand the truth. They are surrounded 
by a world that hates them and will do anything they can, including blowing themselves up to hurt them. They get it. And because of that, it is the most it is the safest nation in the world, and that's the truth. They understand they have an enemy. Ladies and gentlemen, you have an enemy. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to knock you out of a place where you can be in ministry. He wants to destroy your life, your family, everything about you. He despises you. And he is working very hard. And he is very smart. And he has destroyed people much stronger than you in the past. You are no match for him. If you leave him one inch, he will come in and he will ruin you. You've got to know it. I don't want you to be afraid of him. But I do want you to be aware. Now we're going to spend the rest of this time talking about all of the tools all of the things that God has doing and is has done and is doing now to keep you safe. But you won't use them if you don't know you're in danger. Would you put on a bulletproof vest if no one was shooting at you? No. Why would you? What's the point? I'm just going to walk around with a bulletproof vest on for no reason? I don't think so. Have you ever heard people say, you're not paranoid if people are really after you? Okay. <laughs> the enemy is after you. And he is looking for the smallest way to get into your life and destroy it. Now, there is something really great about the way that this thing works. He has to have your permission to destroy you. Now you might say, no, he doesn't. Yeah, he does, actually. The problem is, he's really good at getting it. He is. He is really good at getting you to cooperate with him in destroying your life. He does it every day. He's been doing it for thousands of years. He is really good at getting you to cooperate with him for the destroying of your life. Jesus is over here saying, I want you to cooperate with me to make you everything I created you to be. And the enemy is on the other side saying, I want you to cooperate with me to ruin everything God has ever dreamed over you. I want to take all those wonderful things, all of the abilities, all of the gifts, all of the talents that God has put in your life, and I want to use all of them against you. 
And he has met people like you before, and he knows how to do it. And if you give him a minute, he will. He comes to rob, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. That's all he wants to do. All the time. He is not funny. He's not playful. He's not... You, do, you need to take him seriously. Because he's taking you seriously. He is putting together an intentional plan to ruin your life. It's just the truth. I tell you this because I love you. Now let's get to some good news. <laughs> All right. That's the bad news for today. Okay. Let's get to some good news. You have help. You are, you are, no, you are no match for him. That's the truth. But you plus Jesus? Ha! <laughs> he is so outmatched. It's ridiculous. He can't even stand to stay in the presence of Jesus for more. Uh, he just can't. He has no ability to do anything to you that, that Jesus does not allow him to do. Now you might say, then why does Jesus ever allow him to do anything to us? Because Jesus has given you free will. And if you open the door and say, come on in, devil, Jesus is not going to say no. He will let you do that. It is your life. He doesn't want you to do that. He will put up warning sign after warning sign after warning sign after warning sign. You guys ever seen Bruce Almighty? Yeah. You know the scene where he turns the corner and he's like, just give me a sign and this car comes and there's like all these like warning, caution, like everything in front of him. He's just like, oh God, just show me. You know? He's not paying any attention because God does that all the, all the time. God will stand directly in front of you. I, I love the story of Balaam's donkey. You guys know that story? Okay. Yeah. Old Testament story. Here's, here's Balaam riding a donkey headed off to do exactly the opposite of what God wants him to do. And God puts a gigantic nine foot archangel in the way in all glory Ooh, right and Balaam is not paying attention he doesn't even see it there's an angel standing right there and Balaam's just like well, just not paying any attention finally God's like anyway he gives the donkey the ability to speak and the donkey says you idiot do you not see the angel <laughs> that is how God is God will put God will throw he will say Warning, warning, danger, Will Robinson. Okay, he will come. He will stand in front of you and shout in the, in the form of leaders, in the form of sermons, in the form of, of movies, in the form of every single way he can possibly try and get the message across. You should not do this. And we walk right past it, just completely oblivious because we've made a decision to sin. But I, I am amazed. One of my favorite stories was a guy that I heard about. He and his fiance were Bible college students, okay? And they just really wanted to have sex. And they decided that what they were gonna do is pray. And if God didn't make the phone ring, 
between now and the time that like things were actually happening, then they then they had the okay from God and they could have sex. That's honestly what they had convinced deluded themselves into thinking. <laughs> That God not making the phone ring was permission. That's so stupid. Yes, it's stupid, oh, but how many times have you made the same kind of deal? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, you have, because every single person in this room. Like having sex okay, maybe not for something that life shattering. <laughs> okay, I'm like, Lord, if you really want me to go to this place. Right. Show right. me a sign, the phone rings. You've been accepted. Really? <laughs> you know, I would, there, it, we are really good at deceiving ourselves. And the enemy is totally excited about letting us do that. If you think about something long enough, you can come up with a good reason to do just about anything. In fact, you can probably come up with three or four good reasons to do things. Things you know you're not supposed to do. Things you know, you know, that you can come up with a million and one reasons about why. Well, you know, there is this one verse that makes it seem like maybe it's not quite as bad. The five verses that say we shouldn't do it don't matter. But the one verse that said that doesn't quite make it so clear that I shouldn't, that's the one I'm choosing to believe today. Give me a break. Yeah. So um, here's a fun little story. Um, this, I don't remember his name, but he was, like, preaching at our church, like, over the summer. And, you know, he preached and everything, and he did his altar call. I don't remember what it was. But anyway, I went down there because everybody else did. And so he told me, like, he was, like, praying for me. And then after he, like, stopped praying and, like, told me, I see you standing on a mountaintop or, like, mountainside with your hands over your ears. I just thought I'd share that. I don't know. But right. I don't know well, it's like, the, it's like the picture of the porch this morning. You got the keys in your hand, but you're standing on the porch going, should I go in? I can't get in. Oh, darn. God's going, you have the keys, but it's locked. <laughs> My daughter does this all the time. I will say, hey, go get, go get dressed. She go, she'll say, I don't know what matches. And then I will take her upstairs and say, how about this and this? And she'll go, that doesn't match, Dad. <laughs> Don't tell me you don't know what matches. You know, she just didn't want to do it. You know, I don't know how. She's already doing that. I'm a cute little girl and I don't even know how to do this. You big strong man, you know what to do. I, I'm worried. Just, just, just pray for me that I don't kill her. Um, no, it's all right. She needs to hear it. Um, <laughs> not that any of my family listens to this podcast. But I asked my wife, I said, you ever listen to my podcast? She goes, I hear you talk enough, honey. <laughs> I said, good, then I can say anything I want to you about you on it, and you'll never know. She's like, you do anyway. <laughs> That's true. Um, <laughs> the Lord wants to help us, and he will. He's a really good leader, and he will prepare you. He will tell you ahead of time. He will do everything. He will send prophets your way to tell you, you know, to give you words about. And we don't listen. We just, we just don't. And we, we open up the door. Finally, th there comes a point where God's like, you want to touch the hot stove? Touch the hot stove. If you have to learn the hard way, you're going to. 
I am not going to fight you forever. And God lets us do it. And it sucks. And all of a sudden you realize, I wonder, oh, that must have been what that gigantic stop sign was about. Face palm. Hello. I, I can't tell you how many times as a youth pastor, I looked people in the eyes and said, if you do this, you will walk away from God. And then six months later, they're coming back to me. My relationship with Jesus was just falling apart. And I'm like, what did I say to you six months ago? Well, I guess you were right because... Yeah, I knew I was right then. That's why I told you. I'm telling you what. The most annoying thing, just for any of you that might end up in youth ministry someday, the most annoying thing in the world is when you preach your guts out about something, you say it completely, you say it, say it as hard as you can from the pulpit on Wednesday night. You say it to them when you meet them for coffee, okay? And then you go to camp and some twerp of an evangelist gets up and says, it doesn't even say it as well as you did. And everybody's like, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> he's so wise. I just want to throw things at him. What do you mean he's wise? Here's the CD from three months ago. <laughs> I was wondering about that. Oh my gosh, it drives me crazy. You didn't hear me talk about this. Oh, no, you were too busy groping your girlfriend in the back row. Sorry, there's just some youth pastor bitterness that's still in there. Okay, anyway. <laughs> okay. God has set up a defensive system. He has given you the gear that you need, and it's enumerated here in this verse. There's other places too, but it's right here. God lays out the plan for your defense. If you know you have an enemy, you're going to take the, you know, you're going to take the measures that you have to take to keep yourself safe. God is working to keep you safe, and these are the things that God has given to keep you safe. So we're going to walk through them one at a time so that you can understand what they are, okay? The Apostle Paul begins to describe the strength of the Lord. Here, this is what he says, "Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might." Okay? The strength of the Lord has been given you to fight the enemy. You're no match for him. Jesus is, and he has given you his strength to stand. Okay? And he begins to describe the working of that strength by using this metaphor that we call the armor of God. These are not like pieces that were locked away in some cave. No, no. this isn't some kind of magical you know, thing. These are things that are available to every single, per every single person that names the name of Christ. And we all need them. And we should apply them to our lives all the time. They're strategies on accessing the strength of God to protect us from our enemy. Okay? First of all, uh, gird your loins with the truth. Okay. This is always a really fun one. Because this picture in the metaphor of girding your loins with the truth, 
Okay, a lot of pe- people have called it like the belt of truth. That is not correct. It was not a belt. It was a Roman jockstrap. I'm serious. It was. It was a. It was a foundational garment. Okay. It was. That's what it was. Every other, every other piece of the armor was hooked into this foundational garment that you would wrap as, as tightly around yourself as you could stand. And it held everything else in place. And it protected the most delicate regions of the male body. That was what it was for. Okay? Now, what does this have to do with truth? Okay? The point is, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth frees us to run and to move without difficulty. When we know the truth about who God is, when we know the truth about ourselves, and we know the truth of those around us, okay, how many times have you been living life based on a lie? And we were just talking about this a minute ago, that the Holy Spirit spends his time with us. The process he takes us on, the renewing of the mind, is about finding the lies upon which our our lives are built and dissolving them, disassembling them, showing them to be lies, and then giving us the truth in its place. That's what he does. He moves along. He moves down the line. He walks through the corridors of our spirit and he begins to say, you see this, you actually believe this about yourself and this isn't true. I'm going to pull this out. You do not have to earn God's favor. He adores you regardless of what you've done. That's just one of the major lies that we sit on. That It's that lie of religion that I have to work for God before he loves me. That I have to earn his favor. I have to earn his love. I have to earn his grace. You can't earn grace. And if you try, you will lose it. That thing is an ugly lie that... It, that gets set as a foundation stone in our heart, and anything that gets built on it just falls over. That's why Jesus said, build your house upon the rock. Build your house upon the truth. The foundational garment upon which all of your other armor sits, all of your other protection is, first of all, you need to know the truth. You need to know what is, what is true about God. You need to know who he is. And when these thoughts come into your brain, like, God's not going to provide for you. Okay? You will know. That's a lie, and I will not allow it to stand. I, and, and you can say, no, that will not. I will not. I will not think that way. I refuse. And you confront the lies with the truth, and, you, and, and they, they just dissolve and go away. They have no power against the truth. But you're going to have to do some battle sometimes with the truth. You have to know the truth about God. You have to know the truth about yourself. Who you are in Christ. The gifts that God has given you. That's why I love gifts tests. Oh, really? This is, this is, because most of us feel like we have very little to offer the world. But God has filled us with good things that he wants to use. That he wants to, and you need to know what they are. You need to understand it. 
The defense of your soul must be built upon the truth of who God is, of who you are, and of and the truth about the others around us, both good and bad. Okay? It's that foundational garment upon which every other bit of our defense rests, and we need to understand that. It, when we do, we'll be able to run, be able to act vigorously without fear of injury. When we know the truth about God, I read a quote the other day, and I'm trying to remember who actually said it. But it said, the great thing about fearing God is when we fear him, we fear nothing else. But when we don't fear him, we fear everything else. When we fear God, we fear nothing else. When we don't fear him, we're afraid of everything else. If God is for us, who can be against us? If you honestly know the truth about how God feels about you, if you live out every single day, honestly, truthfully, living in the knowledge that you are the beloved of God, that you are the apple of his eye, that you are his chosen beloved, his son or daughter, that you are the one, that God has called you by name, that he has written you on the palm of his hand, that, he, that you are his chosen bride, that he has anointed you and called you to be a, an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven into the earth, and that he is always looking throughout the earth to vigorously support those who put their hope in him. When you know who he is, what is there to be afraid of? When I honestly believe that the Holy Spirit is here with me, inside of me, at all, in all moments, is there anybody that can intimidate me? Even Satan? Heck no. Now I'm free. I'm honestly free. I'm no longer a slave to fear because I'm a child of God. So that whole song's about. All of a sudden, the truth of who I am, I'm his kid. And you can't mess with me. Kill me and you'll send me to the best place I've ever been. Scar me, hurt me, and you're giving me treasures that I will keep forever. Living, what would it be like to live life immune to fear? That's why I love that song, You Make Me Brave. Love that song. Why? Because I'm safe. I'm safe. I... I'm not afraid of failure. That's a good one. You want to know why I'm not afraid of failure? Not because I will never fail. I will. I'm not afraid of failure because I know he'll always accept me. I know that my earthly failures have no impact upon the way that he feels about me. Somebody needs to hear that today.
your earthly failures have no impact on his passion for you. And when that's the only thing I really care about, I'm not even afraid to fail. So I'll try anything. All the limits are taken off when my loins are girded with truth. Just when I say the word loins, everybody's like, loins. He said loins. The breastplate of righteousness. A few years ago, I preached through this. We were in the middle of a sermon series called, um, it was about running. It was called Go the Distance, I think. And, and, uh, and we were preaching the whole book of Ephesians. It was about running. And then at the end, we did a 5K as a church. And, and, and the metaphor that I used, I said, let's take it out of the Roman world and let's put it into the running world. So the loins girded with truth is the athletic supporter or the sports bra, ladies. Okay? It's the foundational garment. Okay? The breastplate of righteousness is, is the heart monitor of righteousness. Monitors your pulse. Okay? It isn't our righteousness. He's talking about it's God's. Understand this. This isn't the, this isn't the Apostle Paul saying, y'all better be good or bad stuff's going to happen. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying. The Apostle Paul is saying, Jesus comes along and he gives us righteousness as a gift. Here you go. Here's righteousness, my shade. Take it. Wear it. It's yours. Okay? And we put on that righteousness. The righteousness of Christ Jesus. We actually take it and we put it on like a garment. We wear it. Okay? I call it the heart monitor because it checks our pulse for us. When we daily put on the righteousness of Jesus, we're doing a heart check with the Lord. Reconnecting with the one who is our righteousness and aligning our hearts with him again. When we're in touch with his righteousness and our hearts go out of sync with his, we'll know it because we constantly have that. His righteousness there given to us. It's not our righteousness. You don't want to wear your righteousness. The Bible says your righteousness is like a menstrual cloth. <laughs> that, that is what the Bible says. <laughs> yep. Oh, I thought you said like a man. No. Like no. This is what the Bible literally says. Now, when you go when you go look, when you go look at the scripture that says that, it says filthy rags. But the original Hebrew means Yeah. So you don't want to wear your righteousness. You don't want to wear that. Okay? Put on the righteousness he's giving you as a gift. Now listen to me. This means so much. How many times have you stood up and you've, you've looked a temptation in the face and you've said, honestly, I don't know if I can withstand it. If any of you, if you have been honest in this room, you have looked temptation in the face and said, I don't know if I can keep from it. I'm sure this is true for some ladies, but I know it's really true for guys. We look at lust in the face and it frightens us. Can I keep up this war against lust for the rest of my life? 
Because, guys, I'm going to tell you the truth. That battle does not end when you get married. It changes, but it doesn't end. Okay, understand that. That battle is still there, and I know that that is a scary enemy. Well, guess what? We're not relying on your righteousness. We're relying on the Lord's. And he's given it to you as a gift. And he says that he can keep you. He can keep you. He can keep you holy until the day that you see him face to face. That's what scripture promises us. I believe it. And the sooner you believe it, the sooner that power, that grace is going to be made mobilized on the inside of you so that saying no is not difficult. And the closer you tie that righteousness to you, the more you rely on it, the easier it gets. The easier it gets to keep your heart in sync with his all the time. I need to know that I'm mirroring you, Jesus. I need to know that I look like you. Honestly, guys, there you will come to a place. I believe with all my heart I'm not entirely there yet. But the older I get, the further I get in Christ, the more my battles are about inside stuff than they are about outside stuff. The more my battles are about my motives, my intentions, and not my actions. The more mature you get, the more you realize that Jesus wasn't just a person who didn't sin. He was a person who carried the image of God perfectly. So that means not only do I want to keep from sinning, but I also want to be like God. Do you see the difference? This isn't just about a list of things you're not supposed to do. This is about here is what Jesus looks like. And that is what we are supposed to look like. Kindness, gentleness, patience, goodness, self-control. I probably forgot one of them somewhere. I said kindness. No, I said goodness. Faithfulness. 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 Gentleness. Gentleness. Joy. How did I forget joy and peace? Love. My favorites. Love is the, is the whole thing. Got to understand love. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. The other words are just descriptions of love. Um. <laughs> I tell you something cool. Yeah, go ahead. Allie said it, but it was really cool. So, like, I'm a really impatient person sometimes, you know? And she didn't know that, I don't think. But she was, like, talking, and she goes, and if we're not being patient with somebody, then we're not really loving them with the godly love. And I was like, Amen. You know? So it hit me like it's happening. But, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's going to preach. You're a yes, girl. All right. That's good stuff. But that's what we're talking about. Jesus has given us not just the ability to say no to sin, but the ability to act just like God. That's the gift. Guys, that's where the fight should really be. Christianity is way, way more about who you are than it is about what you aren't supposed to do. 
And when your fight is there, when your fight is in that place of, I want my heart to look just like Jesus's, all the stuff you're not supposed to do all of a sudden just doesn't seem nearly so alluring. It's just not, it's not any fun. You don't want it. When you're saying, Jesus, make my heart exactly like yours. Make me loving. Fill me with all of the fruit of the spirit. Fill me with, make me just like you. And when your fight is there, I want to be like you. All of a sudden, you're fighting so hard for the things you're supposed to do that the things you're not supposed to do that you kind of forget about them. That's what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Not just to be to refrain from sin, but to step into who you've been called to be. Next thing. Preparation of the gospel of peace on your feet or the Nikes of peace. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. It says that shod is like shoe, but how shod. do you make that make sense with them having shod your feet? I'm about to tell you. Okay. The, the Roman sandal that, that they would wear. Okay. They were incredibly well made. In fact, they were known the world over for being extremely well made. The ones that, they, that the soldiers were given as a part of their gear. Because they, the way that warfare worked was you would get your shield and you would smash into the other side that also had shields and push. And whoever pushed the hardest and longest would eventually break one side of the line and then you can get in behind the shields and start killing people. <laughs> you can get in behind the shield and start killing people, but until but in order to push like that, you had to have really stable foot. You had to have shoes that dug into the ground and would keep you from sliding backwards. Yes. They actually had nails driven through them that would go into the ground. Okay? So this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. The gospel of peace is your firm foundation. It is the thing that holds you steadfast so the enemy can't push you back. The gospel of peace, the gospel of peace is what keeps you strong. You are immovable, unshakable. You can't be pushed back because the gospel is your bedrock. The word that, he, that is, was used for those shoes was the exact same word that they would use for the base of the pedestal. You know those big Roman pedestals? That base, there was a word for that, that bottom that held the whole pedestal up. And that was the same word they would use for those shoes they were wearing. Because it, it was a foundation. It was, it, was, it was what kept them from sliding from one thing to another. You have got to get the gospel of Jesus Christ so firmly implanted in your spirit that you cannot be shaken, you can't be pushed, you can't be moved. This is one of the things that I, that, that I am so passionate about when it comes to the church is that the church doesn't know the gospel. A lot of times when I say that, people will be like, what do you mean the gospel? 
I'm talking about the reality that Jesus Christ finished the work on the cross and gave you acceptance with God through what he did, not through what you did. He made peace with God for you. You didn't make peace with God. He made peace with God for you. And when that is your rock bottom, when that is what holds you in place, it doesn't matter what what else is going to come. You can dodge, move, whatever. You're not going to slip and fall because you've got the preparation of the gospel of peace is on your feet. You stand with confidence. Jesus did this for me. It's not about what I've done or what I've not done. It's about what he did. And I can live in that peace that I honestly, I have peace with God. God loves me and I love him. I can live in that place. That is your foundation. Those are the shoes on your feet. And you can go anywhere with them. Does that make sense? You can go anywhere with them. You can climb a mountain. See, that was the thing. These soldiers were going to be in every kind of terrain imaginable, from the swamp to the desert, from the mountain to the valley, everywhere. The Roman army went everywhere, and they had one set of gear that everybody used. And the shoes were the same. And the reason they were the same is because sometimes you have to climb up as straight a hill. You better have shoes that grip. You better have a gospel that works. A gospel that keeps you steady. When you have to climb straight up the hill, you better be able to hold fast. And when the enemy's pushing on you, you better be unshakable. Now, let's go to the shield of faith. I call this the sunblock of faith. Being a ginger, I know a lot about sunblock. (laughs) I've invested in sunblock companies because my children use so much of it, I'm just making myself wealthy. The Bible talks about the fiery darts of the enemy. The fiery darts. Now, back in Roman times, they would have the shields and they would, you know, push it. But they would also, before they would come together, smash. Both sides would be shooting arrows at each other. Okay, and they would hold the shields over their head. You've seen it in movies. Okay, they'd hold the shields up, and the shields would take the arrows. You guys ever saw Three Hundred? You know that all those arrows, you know, and then they would just stand up and take their sword and knock all the arrows off and be like, "Yeah, come at me again!" Right? This shield is to to protect us from the fiery darts of the enemy. What they would do, these shields are usually made of wood. It wasn't a big bronze shield like in the movie. They were wood. At least the Roman ones were. And they were big. And they would douse them with water. So that even if the arrows were on fire, and a lot of times they were, that the arrows would hit the shield and be put out by the by how wet the shield was. It wouldn't be able to burn. And that's a poignant picture Because if the soldier didn't cover their shield with water before every battle, then their shield could catch on fire and they'd lose it. That's why the enemy started putting fire on their arrows. 
Because if we can catch your shield on fire, you're going to throw it away, and then you're vulnerable. Okay? And so they would douse their shield with water so that it, was, it would protect them. They would keep it in front of them, and the arrows would come, thunk, thunk, thunk. They would just knock them out, you know, kick them out, and keep fighting. But if you caught your shield on fire, you'd have to get rid of it or else you'd burn. Now, Paul is saying two things here. One, your faith is the shield against the attacks of the enemy, these fiery darts, okay? These things that are coming, if, they're constantly coming. That's why I called it the sunblock, because if you run in the sun without sunblock on it, you're going to burn. Because there's constant sun beating down on you, okay? The enemy is always shooting arrows all the time. He's always shooting a, a stray thought here, a, a comment from some person there, a, you know, whatever, just arrows all the time. Thoughts, you know, doubts that he'll throw your way, you know, different things. And you got to be able, you got to be ready. You got to have firm, you have to have faith to stay up and keep it in the way. But that's the thing. If the, the Roman soldier did not keep his shield wet, it would burn. You have to maintain your faith. You have to maintain your faith. You got to keep it to where it's going to protect you. You got to water it. You got to keep it. You got to keep applying sunblock. When my kids, when we go to Florida, we have to put sunblock on every 45 minutes. I'm not kidding. If we don't, I'm telling you, if we don't, we will come back just not just redheaded. Okay. And there was a couple years ago where, where I was like, screw it. And then I, I really hated myself afterwards. <laughs> I put it on in the morning, and then I was just like out doing stuff, you know, and I'm laying on the beach or playing in the surf or something. And it's been four hours later, and my wife's like, you don't look good. <laughs> I'm like, what? She, you look like a lobster. <laughs> Ruined three days of my vacation. This is terrible. Oh my gosh. It's one of those burns where like if, if you stop moving it like crystallizes around your skin and then the next time you move it feels like you're just ripping your skin right off your arm. Oh my gosh, it hurts so bad. My brother got blisters up and down his legs at the beach this summer. Yes, exactly. I remember one time my sister was sitting out and tanning her legs and her legs burnt all the way up to here and so for the rest of the vacation she had to go like this all the time. <laughs> She'd be like standing there just moving her legs like just like this because if she ever stopped moving it would like, you know, and then she would, next time she'd move, she'd be like, ah, right? We've got to keep our faith watered. We have to keep applying the sunscreen of faith. We've got to stay fresh, stay covered, stay protected. Water your faith, feed it. Feed your faith and starve your doubts. That's what I think that was Spurgeon. Feed your faith and starve your doubts. Okay? Stay in the word. Stay hanging. Stay connected to the body of Christ. Connected with other people of, of like mind, of like faith. Find people that are that encourage you, that lift you up, that make you feel better about Jesus, not people that make you think, I never want to be a part of a church again ever. Keep your faith strong. Stay connected to the Holy Spirit. And then those darts, those, those little fly-by thoughts, those comments that people have, they aren't going to hurt you very much. But when you go out unprotected, when you haven't stayed in the Word, when you haven't stayed in prayer, when you haven't been refreshing your faith as often as you can, guess what? 
Those fiery darts are going to hurt, and they're going to cause damage. You may lose your faith altogether. The helmet of salvation, I know it's time to go, but we have two more. The helmet of salvation is the sweatband of righteousness. <laughs> okay, first of all, their helmets would have uh, their an emblem on them to say what part of the army they were with or what their primary god was. Sometimes both of those were the same thing. Okay. They were reminding themselves, they were covering their minds with the knowledge of who was helping them fight the battle. Do you ever remember, like, buying a pair of Nikes or Adidas or whatever your favorite shoe is, and all of a sudden feeling like you're ten times faster than you were before? <laughs> Just because you have that little swoosh on your shoe? Right? Oh, come on, every one of you have felt that at one point. Or you bought that bike that was, like, extra expensive, and you were like, it's the fastest. <laughs> it's the Nimbus 2000. <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> okay. They had emblems on their helmets. And, and the idea here is, okay, that we are reminding ourselves who is our help. Constantly covering our mind, covering our thought process, reminding ourselves, he is my help. It was also meant to protect the eyes. That's why I called it the sweatband of righteousness. Okay? The helmets that they had would have very, a lot of them would tiny little eye holes. Now they could usually like move them up or down so that, you know, but when they would fight, that's because there were arrows flying around. There was debris flying around. You needed to keep your eyes safe. Obviously they didn't have plastic that they could put in front of their eyes. Okay? But they would make these tiny little eye holes so that, so that debris finder would just bounce off and they would be safe. Okay? They had to protect their eyes because you need to be able to see. Faith enables us to see out of the visible into the invisible and we need to protect it. Our salvation teaches us that our strength is found in the invisible and not in the visible. We need to keep our eyes clear. Keep vision clear. Keep a heavenly perspective. Keep us safe. Jesus said that if our eyes were dark, the whole our whole being would be dark. We'd have to set our eyes and minds on things above from Colossians 3. Understand, what you set your eyes on makes everything. Have you ever been driving down the street and we're looking at something over here and all of a sudden realize you're across the center line? <laughs> it's because where your eyes go, that's where your focus goes. That's the direction you start going. We have to keep our eyes focused on Christ. Does anybody, does everybody know what it means to have dove's eyes? Have you ever heard that? Like there's like the people at IHOP singing all the time, like, like, give me dove's eyes. And like, if you didn't, if you haven't, if you haven't studied the Song of Solomon, you don't know what dove's eyes are. Okay. Dove's eyes can only look one direction at a time. That's the idea. That you're not, yes. They're, they don't have muscles around their eyes. So their head has to move to show them what they want to see. They can only look one direction at a time. The idea 
is that we set our focus in one direction on one thing and we become immovable so that there's nothing else that we can see. That Jesus is at the center of our vision and we don't, we, we never look away. We keep our eyes clear. Stare at him. He is our goal. He's our finish line. He's our calling. This is about him. It's for him. It's through him. We're set on him. Keep your eyes clear. Keep your vision focused. That's the helmet of salvation. Protect your focus. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your focus and leave it. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. What's going on over there? <laughs> yes, it's weird, isn't it? It's like you think about it. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. Guys, this is every other thing that has been listed here, every other piece of gear that's been listed has been defensive. This is the only offensive weapon. The only offensive weapon that's been listed is the word of God. Fight. If you don't know how to wield the sword, if you haven't spent time holding that sword in your hand and building up the calluses on your hand, getting your hand used to the hilt of the sword, then when you face the enemy, he's just going to knock it right out of your hand. Satan knows how to wield the sword. He did it against Jesus. You better know how to hold on to that sword. You better be good with it. Wield it strong. You need it. It's your weapon. Word of God is your weapon. Use it. Use it. Praying in the spirit with all supplication. Get the sword out and use it in prayer. Pray the word of God. Use it in the spirit realm. Set the word loose and watch what happens. It's insane. Satan can't compete. Now, last thing I'm going to say. Pray at all times in the spirit. We have access to this beautiful gift called a prayer language, tongues. You need to be praying in tongues every day. Every day. I was talking with Jeremiah early, earlier this week that I'm literally, when a feeling of anxiety comes up, <coughs> I'm not trying to brag, but when a feeling of anxiety comes up, I don't even think about it. I lapse into tongues like instantly. It's just something I've trained myself to do. When I feel unsettled, when I feel scared, when I feel whatever, I just bloop, just write in tongues. A lot of times I don't even realize I've done it. Which has been kind of embarrassing a couple times. 
Somebody would talk to me, and I'll just be just just lapse into tongues, and they'll be like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. The Bible says that God gave us that, and that builds us up in our inner man, that it edifies us in our most holy faith, that it's the Holy Spirit praying through you to God about you. Why would we not do this? Praying in tongues is like is is running the military drills. It's the it's the way we keep our our inner man spiritually fit. You need to just just let that be as just just keep that heavenly language real close. Real close. Just be able to lapse into it just instantly. If you do not have a, a heavenly language, I would love to pray with you. God wants you to have it. He wants you to have it. And it is not hard to receive. It's so easy. I spent three years praying for it. And I got so tired of big sweaty guys like yelling in my ear. You know what I mean? You've got it! You've got it! No, I don't. Shut up. Leave me alone. Right? I, oh, I hated it. I just, that, that experience of Pentecostalism has been as, I hated it. I got to the point where I, every time they would be like, come on up, we want to pray for people to receive the baptism. I'd be like, no. I'm tired of standing at the altar and having people push me around and, and whatever. And I'm going, God, you know I want this. And they're like, worship the Lord, put your hands up, put your hands down, lay on the floor, turn it out three times. And I'm just like, stop. It is so much simpler than that. It's so much easier than that. It's so, it can be, it's so like chill. It does not have to be like this whole thing where you're, you're already yelling as loud as you can. And all of a sudden, oh, I'm in giant and tongues now. That is not how it usually happens. And usually it happens like you get one or two syllables to start with and that's it. So you're just saying the same syllable over and over again for a long time until God starts to give you more. The Bible says the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. That means that he was teaching them little by little what to say. Some people just launch into a complete language like right out of the gate. I'm like, good for you. But that is not the way most people begin. Most people begin with one syllable or two. And they just, in faith, stay in that place and repeat those syllables and ask God for more. And eventually, it's it's a whole language, but they start maybe maybe a long time just with like one or two syllables, one word or two. And they find their way. If you do not have heavenly language, you need one. When the Bible says that he gives to some a tongue and to another interpretation, it is talking about the person that stands up in a meeting and gives a message in tongues that then must be interpreted. It is not talking about the personal private prayer language. So do not take that verse to mean that not everyone should speak in tongues. I believe that every single one of us, that God wants to give you the heavenly language to use in your prayer closet. I believe that with all my heart. The Assemblies of God says it's the initial physical evidence of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I hate that phrase. I agree with the idea, but I hate the phrase. It just doesn't work. 
It's a really great gift that a really good friend wants to give you that is going to be incredibly useful to you for the rest of your life. And you need it. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the book of Ephesians. Lord, I pray that you will have done good work today. I pray that I haven't gotten in your way. Holy Spirit, continue to work. In Jesus' name.